Hey guys, this is the first episode of the Understanding Russia podcast. My name is Stefan Stoyanov. And I'm Oleg Rustam. And we're going to talk about Russia and its foreign policy in the next 30 minutes. For those of you who don't know us, I urge you to listen to our previous episode where we explain who we are and what's our purpose. But if I have to keep it short, this is an entirely student-run podcast elaborated by the Four Magazine on International Relations together with the International Laboratory on World Order Studies and the New Regionalism. We'll have a series of episodes with renewed Russian experts and talk about Russia and its politics, giving an insider perspective. And what better way to start with someone who is well-known both in Russia and the West, the former director of Carnegie Moscow Center, a current research professor at the Higher School of Economics and the leading research fellow at the Center of International Security in Primakov National Research Institute of World Economy and International Relations, Dmitry Trenin. It's a pleasure to have you on, Professor. Uh, my first question is going to be uh, about your last book that came, if I'm not mistaken, over a year ago, uh, which I, by the way, highly recommend. It's called The New Balance of Power, Russia in Search of Foreign Policy Balance. Has Russia managed to find this balance? Well, the short answer is no. Uh, when I was writing the book, and the book appeared in the spring of 2021, I uh, did not anticipate what would follow within 12 months. And um, uh, basically, I was charting in my mind uh, a somewhat different course for Russia's foreign policy, a course in which it would manage to uh, uh, sustain an equilibrium in its multiple international relations. Now we are in a very different phase. We're in an open conflict. Um, it's a proxy war against the collective West, which has never before happened in Russia's entire history. And uh, this is uh, a conflict uh, not so much, and not only at least, about Russia's international standing. It's, um, in my view, existential as far as Russia is concerned. Of course, something led to the standoff that we are all witnessing. But I want to speak generally. In your book, you look at the successes and failures of Russian foreign policy since the time of Gorbachev. So what has been Russia's greatest foreign policy achievement since the collapse of the Soviet Union? And of course, there were many blunders and failures. Which one can you can highlight as the strategic mistake? Uh, in my analysis of Russia's uh, foreign policy achievements and uh, failures, uh, I stopped somewhere uh, in the spring of 2021. If I were writing this today, I think I would uh, uh, expand on, on some of the things. Uh, in terms of successes and achievements, I would say something that's quite uh, obvious today the uh, reclamation by Russia of its uh, sovereign status as a major power, a major power different from uh, the great power of the 19th century in the sense that it doesn't dictate to others, it doesn't accept others dictating to itself. Uh, and uh, in terms of uh, bilateral relations, I would say it's the uh, relationship with China, which uh, is the biggest and lasting achievement, not an easy one uh, to, uh, to succeed in, but uh, starting with Gorbachev, 
all the way through Putin. Uh, that relationship has been getting stronger uh, and richer. And uh, uh, it's, as I said, this is the biggest achievement. In terms of uh, failures, um, I think I highlight in that book that I find uh, that was, again, that was more than a year ago. I found Ukraine, uh, Russia's policies toward Ukraine, as uh, the biggest uh, failure of Russia. The loss of Ukraine, which was something that uh, uh, was not a given, was not something that we were doomed to see back when the Soviet Union was unraveling. Uh, this is absolutely the worst thing that, that's happened. And I would say that uh, the Russian uh, elites and Russian leaders, those who were in charge of the Ukraine policy, bear responsibility for that. That, I think, is the biggest and worst mistake, failure that uh, can register. But what do you mean by loss of Ukraine? Can you, can you a little bit expand your answer? Because I read, I read and listen to Russian and, and Western media, and I think they will understand your words uh, in a different way. Well, it could be. I mean, I'm, I'm used to getting my words wrong <laughs> from time to time, but I, I try to make myself as clear as I, as, as I possibly can. Uh, you have a country next door, let's say you are in 1991, you have a country next door that uh, universally speaks Russian, that has uh, an identity that is yet to be formed, uh, that uh, includes uh, a nucleus of uh, what Putin now calls anti-Russian, virulently anti-Russian, uh, ultra-nationalist, Plus, uh, there are some pro-Western forces inside Ukraine. So those two nuclei are the, um, uh, are the sources of uh, problem for Russia. So instead of uh, working hard to um, isolate as much as possible, reduce the influence of those two nuclei, uh, Russia's policy toward Ukraine was focused on... Um, on some specific issues, there's a gas pipeline running through Ukraine, so the transit issue, the issue of the Black Sea Fleet, and many other things. Um, and uh, as we all know, there have been lots of shady deals between Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs, uh, that uh, did, not, uh, did not take account at all on the Russian side of the Russian national interest. And the national interest vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine was not very well articulated and certainly was not promoted. You look at the uh, illustrious uh, ambassadors that Russia sent to Ukraine, including former Prime Minister Chernomyrdin. They were, some of them were pretty popular in Ukraine. And yet, I think that they uh, probably served uh, the Ukrainian interest more than they served Russian, the Russian interest. Um, so basically what I mean by uh, losing Ukraine, it's losing it to, uh, to Russia's um, enemies inside Ukraine. So Ukraine was lost not so much to the United States or to, to NATO or to the European Union. It was lost to the coalition Benderovites who see Russia as the arch enemy, who uh, want essentially Russia to cease to exist. And that is the loss that I very much deplore, and uh, I'm very unhappy about this whole thing. 
I was very impressed by a, a rhetorical question of yours. If there is an East and a West, why shouldn't there be North as well, referring to Russia as a separate pole of power? Uh, and this pole should balance between the East and the West. But what tools does Moscow need to reach these goals? And is it possible in this current situation? Well, when, when I talked about Russia as uh, the ultimate uh, North, uh, well, first of all, this is the reality, geographical reality, climatic reality, and uh, climatic actually is very important and is getting more and more important down the road. Yeah. And then we'll see uh, how the North differs from the South, for example. Um, but it's also um, uh, an indicator that Russia does not belong it does not belong to the West, as we now know. We hoped 30 years ago, some of us, we hoped that we would be integrating into the West and become part of the West. I even wrote a book many years ago in which I called Russia the Third West uh, alongside Europe and North America. Um, but it's also the distinctness of Russian of the Russian civilization from its... European has European roots, Eastern European roots, uh, roots um, Eastern Orthodoxy, and all that. But it's it's different from Western and uh, and uh, from the Western civilization and the civilizations of the East and the South. Actually, you also need to mention the South. Um, but talking about the pole, I think uh, we need to um, think about the pole in a in a somewhat different way from uh, the Soviet Union and, and the Russian Empire. It's not so much about, you know, Russia re-imperializing itself, becoming again a global empire, a pretender to superpowerdom and things like that. It's uh, more um, about Russia's uh, um, unique qualities that make it... Um, um, uh, an agent for uh, and facilitator of global understanding uh, between or among uh, the West, uh, the East, and uh, the South, all these other, because these these elements exist within Russia itself. You have Russia's West, you have Russia's East, uh, the world's West, the world's East, the world's South, or elements of the world's South within. Russia's vast borders. So what it needs to uh, to be um, what uh, I have just outlined, I think Russia needs to have um, a set of values married to a set of interests in a happy marriage. One. Two, it needs to practice what it says. It needs, uh, and first of all, its leaders need to uh, to lead the nation need to, uh, to, to give an example to others, a good example, not a bad example. Thirdly, I need, uh, uh, Russia would need uh, its citizenry, or let's say its population, to turn into citizenry, to turn into a core of citizens, and the core of citizens is, uh, is, is what you otherwise know as nation, right? And uh, if that happens, when that happens, uh, Russia would be, um, I think, a very um, successful um, element of the globe, the global um, uh, system, and uh, a very useful member of the global uh, world society.
accidentally you actually answered our next question so i'd like to specify something which is closely linked to the uh, russian mentality i suppose professor giving your comments on the book you pointed out that in the past there were some hopes of russia being integrated into if you will the western political space but the unwillingness of russian elite and society to be ruled externally was a clear obstacle on this path at the same time those ties are meant to exist. So what ground should become the solid foundation of stable Russian-Western relations? Well, I think that uh, these grounds could only be achieved um, uh, on two conditions. One condition is that uh, Russia gets its act together and prevails uh, in the conflict that is currently running between itself and the collective West. If Russia loses, then um, then this question uh, actually has no answer. Russia will be dictated to if it continues to exist in its present form, which is the question mark again. Uh, so the first thing is, uh, is, is Russia prevailing. And I think that the most important front for Russia in that conflict is not in Ukraine. It's within Russia itself. It's how people uh, manage... Um, different things, uh, how they manage uh, their military might, uh, how it translates into what happens in the battlefield, how they manage their economy, how they manage their society, how they manage their uh, politics, and how, um, and how Russia's leaders manage the Russian elite. Uh, how Russia manages to become a nation at war with uh, a very clear national goal. So that is one part of, of the question. Uh, the other part is uh, the West. So if Russia prevails, that, that, that is one condition. The second condition is for the West to recognize that uh, the new world order cannot be based on um, Western dominance. And it doesn't have to be based on uh, the Western weakness. It doesn't have to be based on the West's defeat. Uh, we're not talking about that. Uh, what the West uh, in this scenario uh, would have to accept is, uh, is the diversity of the world, is the interests of other players being taken into account. And in this case, the interest of Russia. Again, I do not expect um, uh, that basis to be formed in the foreseeable future. We're talking about President Putin recently mentioned a decade, a decade or so. It could be longer. So it's a long fight. And uh, there will be ups and downs before there's some sort of a conclusion to this um, uh, to this situation. Uh, but at the end of the day, I see uh, that relationship as being based on a new balance of power in which Russia uh, does not dominate Europe, does not dominate the West, does not dominate the world. Clearly, this is out of the question. But Russia um, manages to preserve what it regards as its uh, vital national security interests. And more importantly, uh, through the war, as a result of the war, it turns into its better self. Because frankly, 
and uh, th this is a conclusion I reached way before the uh, the start of the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, the first edition, the post-Soviet edition of the Russian Federation, um, has run its course. It has uh, given us everything it could give, but not more. And in order to get to some higher ground, we need to transform ourselves into, as I mentioned, uh, transforming, for example, by transforming the population into a, into a citizenry. Uh, that that's the way forward, and everything is. Um, that said, I think that uh, our relations with Europe would be a, a neighborly relationship, in my view. But the ideal relationship that we could have is some sort of a well. Ideally, it would be good neighborhood or good neighborliness. Um, in a let's say somewhat less ideal situation, it would be just a neighborly relationship. So we treat each other as neighbors. You can have difficult neighbors. You can have uh, neighbors with uh, problems, but at least you treat them as neighbors. You understand that you depend on your neighbors for certain things. Let's say you have the same air. You breathe the same air, for example. And uh, if there's a fire, you can get across the fence and uh, damage uh, damage your neighbor. So that's um, that's how I view the relationship with Europe. Relationship with the United States, uh, I see as much more distant. But I also see, uh, again, when I look very far into the, into the future, the, I see the United States having to take a less hegemonic position vis-a-vis -vis the world, in the interest of the United States also. Let's talk a little bit more about Europe. You say that Russia, sooner or later, is going to build new relations with, with Europe. Um, but are, are the European states willing to do this, especially Eastern European ones? Well, as we speak, uh, the European Parliament is uh, about to vote on a resolution uh, that uh, brands Russia a terrorist state, right? So that, that's where we are right now in the relationship. Uh, I do not see um, much chance of a neighborly relations with Europe uh, for a very long time. 15 years, 20 years, I don't know. 20 years is a long time in international relations, mm -hmm. so a lot of, lot of things may happen. No, uh, right now, relations with Europe are uh, a shambles. Uh, it is very important in that context that relations with Germany, uh, with which uh, we managed after the Second World War, to uh, reach uh, some sort of a reconciliation. Uh, phenomenal, because this was not based on joint membership and, let's say, membership in the same alliance or in the same economic club, economic uh, unit, like the EU or NATO. Uh, but uh, still, we managed to, uh, to reconcile. And then the Russian people uh, found the, uh, the will, courage, magnanimity, uh, to uh, forgive uh, the Germans uh, for what they did to uh, the Soviet people during the Great Patriotic War. Um, and yet this relationship is, uh, is broken uh, completely at this point, uh, which is a very bad thing, I believe, for Germany, Europe, but also for Russia. And uh, the future will, the future of Russia's European, Russian-European relations will actually depend uh, uh, to a very large degree on whether Europe 
will find itself um, more autonomous, will, 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 will be able to, uh, to become a more autonomous uh, international actor. Um, there's no sign of it right now. There's no trend leading to that right now. Uh, but who knows what happens in 20 years' time. So that is a, that is a key question. Otherwise, uh, I see the importance of Europe globally, but also the importance of Europe for Russia receding very fast. Uh, other parts of the world are becoming so much more important, so much more interesting, so much more lucrative uh, to Russia. Um, and uh, Europe is um, becoming more and more uh, intertwined with the United States like it never was during the Cold War. During the Cold War, Europe still preserved the modicum of um, autonomy within uh, the Western free world, uh, but not, not anymore. So we'll see what happens to Europe, whether the European Union will exist in 20 years' time, I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Just moving a little bit out of our, of our topic, um, you've mentioned Russia's unique qualities. And of course, we know that the most powerful weapon that every country possesses is um, their, own, their own people. And Russia is a large and certainly not a monolithic country. Um, here we have a great diversity of people, cultures, uh, even civilizations. Can we expect an increase of the regional factors within the country itself? Are specific uh, cities or regions likely to become centers of relations with other countries, for example? Yeah, for, for a second, I'd like to share my own experience. I just came back from the youth forum with Middle Eastern researchers, which took part in Pitigorsk. Obviously, Pitigorsk is not the capital. This town is the center of the North Caucasian Federal District, the region where many Muslims live. Maybe this is suitable format. Well, um, I think yes, but uh, with, with the caveat. I think it's uh, clear that uh, uh, the country that uh, extends over 11 time zones, uh, that uh, has uh, uh, borders with Norway and North Korea, uh, you know. Both with an with an Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, that, that country uh, should... Uh, uh, should have interests uh, at the regional level with uh, very different parts of the world. Kaliningrad, for example, they, that, that's one situation. And uh, uh, you go to wherever, southern Siberia, or you go to the North Caucasus, and you have... I, I think that the, um, the, the issue is to um, stimulate regional connections uh, intra-regional correct connections between Russian uh, regions and uh, the neighboring foreign territory without losing control of the um, uh, unity of Russia's foreign policy. Um, I think it's doable, absolutely, but uh, someone has to, uh, to work hard on that. Someone has to curate that and someone has to to come up with um, uh, with a strategy for that. For example, I see uh, the Far East as uh, the leading uh, Russian region competent in the relations, in, in, in both studying and managing 
regional level relations with the neighboring uh, countries, China, the two Koreas, Japan, and others uh, in, in, in East Asia and, um, and um, that part of Mongolia and that part of the world. This is something that uh, uh, I mentioned in the book that, that, that you kindly uh, referred to. Uh, but this is something that has to be woven into uh, what I would call um, a global grand strategy for Russia. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that uh, one of Russia's strengths, but also its weaknesses, has been over-concentration of resources in just a, a few places and uh, super uh, concentration of those resources in the capital. And uh, it's fine for a number of, uh, even it's very important, it's essential for many things. But for other things, it's, it's far less essential. And uh, right now, the, uh, the Western uh, borderlands of Russia are probably uh, facing um, a new Berlin style wall uh, built by our Western neighbors. But other parts of, of, of the country, say the Muslim uh, republics, Tatarstan, Chechnya, Dagestan, and others, are an essential element of Russia's uh, burgeoning relations with the Middle East. And we need to, uh, to expand uh, that relationship. We need, but also, it should not be Tatarstan-Middle uh, Eastern relations. Yeah, yeah. It should be Russia's relations with the Middle East via Tatarstan or via Chechnya or via something else. Uh, that, I think, is, 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 is very promising. And uh, over, with time, I think uh, the Western facade will, agree, will, will, uh, will uh, exhibit some openings some fishes, and you can you can get uh, uh, over to the west through uh, some openings in the wall uh, to the benefit of Russia, not to the benefit of Europe, but not primarily to the benefit of Europe. Uh, we should we should not open should not try to open that wall in order to get more west in Russia. We should we should do the we should try to do the opposite to reach out to those elements within Europe that may be. Uh, friendly to us that may be uh, interested in in a pragmatic relationship. This is what we are aiming at in our relations with Europe. To my mind, the current situation in the Russian foreign policy could be characterized as the struggle for its vision of international system. Uh, and it's rather important to know what's the biggest fear Russia has. So what are we afraid to lose? Our sovereignty, our economy, or maybe our honor? Well, I think that uh, you know, in a country of 100 and almost 150 million people, if you compare, if you include the new territories, uh, many country, many citizens of that country, many groups within that country would have very different fears. My own fear is is this: um, for 30 years, Russia, certainly for 25 years until 2014, Russia has been was trying to become part of the West on its own terms. This failed. However, um, a significant portion of the Russian elite is very much tied, its interests are very much tied to the global market, to relations with other uh, partners across the border. 
um, and um, and these people uh, still wield um, a substantial influence within the country. And to them, uh, to least many of them, I'm not blaming them. It's more more of an analysis. Uh, their own uh, private fortunes matter more than uh, you know this nebulous national interest of Russia, and uh, uh, we need to be aware of the. You, you talked about struggle, but there's also struggle. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's too strong a word. Maybe not. Uh, there is um, some sort of a competition that's going on inside our own country within. Uh, the elite, and part of the elite would want something, and other, the other part of the elite would would, would want something completely different, or maybe op opposite to what uh, the first part wants. So it's um, actually I mentioned that in the book. I I talked about uh, two two groups. One I call uh, guardians, and the other one I call merchants, and uh, you know. This is this is a reality, and both are Russian groups. And which group prevails, and how they manage to come to terms with each other, so that we, uh, so that we build a, um, a united front within the elite that would take uh, take legitimate interests of uh, of everyone, but primarily the interests of the nation, into account. And, uh, and 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 face uh, face the challenge, the the phenomenal challenge that Russia is facing today. It's still an, an open question to me. And the last question: How do you think Russia sees the world? Well, there are so many eyes, and I mean, yeah, I talked about 150 million people. They have uh, 300, uh, 300 million eyes, right? And they 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 see the world. Yeah. Uh, through those eyes, and I, I will not generalize on that. But um, I, uh, my own uh, working concept for myself is that, uh, you know, basically uh, Russia is uh, a, a country of, um, of European cultural origin, a country uh, that uh, lives under very... Um, special conditions, climatically, geopolitically, geographically, etc., that sees itself as both part of, um, of the wider world, but, but also as a separate part of that world. I think that uh, the important thing uh, in terms of international relations is that Russia uh, cannot accept being under anyone's uh, thumb, and that's the most important thing. And if um, there is um, a danger or a prospect of Russia being reduced to um, the position of, a, of an inferior, um, not, not inferior in size, not inferior in GDP, that, that's, that's doable. In, inferior politically, a, a country that is, that is somebody's subject, right? Mm -hmm then either there will be a rebellion against that or there'll be no Russia as we know it, which is also something that we need to keep at the back of our minds. And uh, as someone who, uh, I don't want to end on that now, so you will have, you will have to ask another question. <laughs> uh, as someone who was present at the funeral of uh, my former state, 
the Soviet Union. Um, you know, you you understand that uh, states are mortal, and they can die on you, which I never thought they would, but they did. So um, it's important that uh, we all understand the mortality of the state and our own responsibility for helping the longevity of your own state, of your own, even of your own country, because, uh, uh, you know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, the, the bulk of the country remained within the Russian Federation, right? The borderlands, well, you may say Belarus and Ukraine. Anyway, it was the borderlands that, uh, uh, that uh, became independent. Uh, if, God forbid, something were to happen to the Russian Federation, then uh, maybe we'll cease to exist in a very different way and form than the Soviet Union did. So we, are, we have a responsibility for preventing that scenario from turning into reality. And the way forward, as I said, is, um, of course, with all due respect to the importance of prevailing in the conflict, the proxy war against the West, the most important field is at home, as it, as it always is. And the building a better Russia, building a, a more just Russia, a more effective Russia, a more humane Russia, a, a more inclusive Russia, meaning that uh, uh, participation becomes uh, a norm rather than an, than an exception. Uh, that, is, uh, that is something that we need to strive to achieve. But as I said, I don't want to end on that note. Please come up with, I have to with have something to which I can ask in a positive, in a positive way. I have to follow the rules that Professor established. Personally, I believe that the separation of Europe from the United States and its formation as the autonomous center of power within the international system is the key step of forming new balance of power. Through what mechanisms can Europe leave the U.S. so it would be beneficial for Russia? Well, first of all, like it doesn't want to leave the United States. Uh, in fact, it, uh, it it fears that the United States that the United States can leave Europe. As, That's, a, as a European, I can confirm this. Right, and uh, you know the uh, Europeans felt uh, orphaned when uh, Donald Trump became the United States president. Um, so. Um, I talked about that as being important for Russia's relations with Europe, but more globally, I think that uh, Europe will probably, with all due respect to Europe, I don't think that Europe will, uh, Europe's role will, will, will grow in, 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 in future. I see Europe more as an add-on to the United States. And as I said, maybe Europe is beyond the point where it could um, actually start uh, creating uh, a meaningful autonomy from the United States. I, I think that we are past that point, at least in the current era of uh, international relations. Um, I'm thinking more about the rise of um, various other countries, of course, China and India, but also others, Indonesia and Iran and Saudi and uh, Brazil and Turkey and uh, South Africa and you know, Nigeria, Argentina. There's a long list of countries that 
will become more important, uh, much more important than, uh, than they, with few exceptions, that they've ever been. Uh, and many of them will be more important than Russia. We also need to, I mean, China and India are already world powers. And uh, it's likely that they will become even more important. So Russia should not be in the race for, uh, for primacy. It should be in the uh, business of making itself a unique and uh, very useful member and very happy member of the future world system which we have to create uh, jointly through joint efforts uh, a way we should be moving away from the system of uh, one nation's hegemony and to a system in which uh, there is let's say more 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 equal distribution of uh, power authority influence so that we have a more inclusive world a world that um, that will be richer in so many ways not in terms of not only in terms of GDP, which I think will be, it will be richer, but in terms of cultural richness, in, in terms of spiritual richness, in terms of, uh, uh, of uh, more co-equal relations uh, among various nations, big or small. Russia will find its place. It should be uh, thinking in terms of, of um, uh, fulfilling its vocation, which uh, I think was... Uh, stipulated a uh, hundred uh, more more than a hundred years ago uh, in the writings of some of Russian uh, famous great uh, writers and thinkers that that's the way to go it's not to become you know another Soviet Union that we can never be again and should not want to be again Professor Trenian there was pleasure and honor to have you as the first guest. Thank you very much. This was the first episode of the Understanding Russia podcast. Today's episode was produced by Fyodor Alexeyev. It was mixed and mastered by Stefka Stoikova and Slavko Sergeyev. Our researcher and fact-checker was Liana Bersanova. And the hosts of this episode were Alek Ustamov and Stefan Stajanov. The episode would not have been possible without the help of the International Laboratory on World Order Studies and the New Regionalism. We remind you that all the opinions you've heard belong to those who said them. Thank you all for listening to us. See you next time and stay safe.